Welcome to the Unlock Philippines podcast, your once or twice weekly informational podcast on all things lockdown management related. We hope to help you get through what you need to get through so we can keep it together while we social distance apart. I'm Jet Akuzar. I'm based in the Philippines. And I'm Jantina Fong Nigaman. That's N-I-G-G-E-M-A-N-N, a Filipina based in Hong Kong, and we are your hosts. Hi, Jack. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Jan. It's nice to hear from you again after all this time. I know. Um, I guess I should start with the disclaimer that I actually worked at Julmer for some four years <laughs> and that we've been friends for much longer, right? Since maybe we were 16. Yes. So I feel like <laughs> I think I need to put that out there. Yes, since you came to IS and I think we had the uh drama to d- together i think that was the first class yeah and in fact it it might might have been fate that i ended up working at jewelmer because if i'm not mistaken you sold me my first jewelmer earrings yep you were definitely one of my first uh private clients <laughs> <laughs> yeah i still remember coming into the the showroom with my mom so that was that was really nice that was a good memory yes it was good training um, for me <laughs> But now um, we're not 16 anymore. Unfortunately. And now you're... <laughs> exactly. But now you're deputy CEO at Jewelmer. Um, is that right? But you're also like a lot of things. Like I've seen you in uniform. I've seen you holding up shrimp. I've seen you on a motorcycle. Um, you seem to be kind of a renaissance man. So I wanted to check in with you and see what you're actually doing these days. Having started uh, in Jewelmer mostly based on the farms um and that was really a eye-opening experience in terms of uh, working so close to nature uh, but also mm-hmm. learning the business from the ground up and actually physically doing the work together with a lot of the people that i've known for many years um having been visiting the farms with my my father in the past but this uh spirit of working with a community uh, really built, uh, I guess, a, a side of me that that was patriotic. One, because we were, our product is the national gem of the Philippines. So whenever uh, we sold the pearl, it, it was always connected to our country. Um, and most of the time on the international scene, whether we were doing trade shows in, in Europe, uh, in the U.S., in other parts of Asia or Latin America, um, we were the first touch point in many cases for people who visited these trade shows. We were the first touch point uh, to the Philippines for them. They had never met a company from the Philippines, let alone a luxury company. Uh, despite the uphill um, challenge of, of of being very proud of where we were from, um, for us, that was the essence of... Uh, Jewelmer and the essence of what we were doing in terms of building a brand. Um, it's very much linked with uh, the beauty of our country and the beauty of our people. So with that said, um, I had a very patriotic side to me um, and also a side that wanted to serve so I joined, uh, I joined the Philippine Coast Guard Auxiliary 
so this kind of formalized um, our efforts in terms of being able to protect the marine environment in Palawan, but also being there in times of calamity or times of need. I started in a rank-and-file position in the Coast Guard Auxiliary um, and worked myself up to uh, the rank of captain. Uh, so I'm a captain in the 408 squadron now. And um, as I said, mostly uh, it was in uh, marine protection, but also in, mm-hmm. in education as well as uh, rescue. A very uh, strong uh, memory for me was when Yolanda hit the Philippines and uh, we were really called to action there. And, and a lot of those um, moments really changed my life and who I was um, and really brought a, a great sense of, of uh, humility in, in the way I approach things and, and the way that we face challenge. That's so interesting. I actually thought it was quite recent that you had done this no, the, Coast Guard. The recent one is mm-hmm. actually the the PNP Highway Patrol Group. Um, so that was last year uh, where I graduated the, um, the Highway Patrol Group course for civilians. Uh, basically, that was a, a, a... Well, that was more because I love riding motorcycles. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, at that time... Uh, President Duterte released a mandate that there were not enough resources to have eyes on the road. So he wanted more civilians to um, partake in the highway patrol course in order to be able to have more eyes on the road and to report back if there are infractions and to be able to assist motorists who are also in need. I love that. I guess it's also unsurprising that you're call to serve is um, manifesting in so many different ways. So basically, you're out on the water, you're out on the road. You also fly planes, so you're also in the sky. You're everywhere. <laughs> well, I, I have my, my father to thank for that. Um, you, you know him as well. I mean, he's a, a man of many talents and skills. So whether it was driving a boat or flying aircraft from a very young age um, that was very much a part of um, our life and and most especially our our work. Uh, It was a necessity. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up your dad. He's sort of a man of like many lives, but like a cat. (laughs) I remember reading his biography back in the day. What was it like growing up on the farms? Like you mentioned you used to do all these things with with the workers. I remember on my first trip to the farm, they had us like scrubbing down oysters, singing to the baby hatchlings while we cradled them in little baskets. They invited me to dive down to see the oyster basket suspended in this like beautiful clear blue water. But of course, I don't know how to dive. So that didn't happen. But like the energy, everything, it was was just so wonderful. It was so idyllic. How lucky you must have been have been growing up around that your whole life first of all I, I loved going to the farms it was very different to the city in terms of the remoteness in terms of not having access to modern day technology and it was really about you know being present and spending quality time with people uh, enjoying nature mm-hmm. and um, being faced with challenges that you wouldn't 
have needed to face at that age in a city setting. So I think that that um, from a very young age built up a lot of decision making and and resilience uh, and patience also in in my character. Um, but yeah, I, I one thing for sure is um, the connection I built uh, with the people uh, and with nature. I think that was that was really uh, at the heart of of what I got from the time there. But you know, growing up, when you're around something um, fairly often, you don't necessarily recognize the value of it until mm-hmm. you're away from it. And so it was really when I left to study abroad um, that I realized that this life I had been living was was um, was very privileged, um, more so in terms of the the simpleness of being able to be in such a remote environment and and being with people who were so genuine and real. Um, so it's just it sounds like it was such a sacred time for you, and I'm wondering you have a very young son, and I wonder if this is something that you're very keen to pass on to him as well. Yes, so I, I do have, we, we have a very young son, um, and he is uh, amazing. He's brought so much to our lives, and um, especially during this, this time of challenge, he's a ray of sunlight every morning. But um, in terms of wanting to pass on something to him, I believe that uh, every, every human being is their own individual, um, I'd love to to share with him the values that I felt were um, the most important in 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 bringing me this far uh, in life, or that my my family has shared with me. So I definitely want to pass down those values to him, um, but I also want to give him the independence to to choose where his where his uh, desires will take him in life. Um, and to fulfill his 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 own dreams and not necessarily mine or 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 my wife's but um, basically in terms of, of of values I think the ones that we we'd really like to pass on to him is is one of of humility of gratitude and respect wow beautifully said I mean you're definitely not 16 anymore, my friend. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of typhoons in the face and this is what happens. Living out there, being at the forefront of nature, you, you know like what it's like to be at its mercy. It's an everyday reality for you. But maybe for some of us, it's only now that we're realizing how small we really are in the world. But I think this is maybe something that you've known all along as pro farmers. So it's very interesting you mentioned that because um, as pro farmers, we accept the fact that we do not control a majority of what happens. And we accept the fact that there will be negative hurdles along the way that we will have to make do with what we have to overcome them. And we cannot, uh, we cannot, it won't do any good to complain or be negative or or be sour or be bitter about a situation we just have because it's not going to change the 
the outcome or or the effect it, it, so basically but this said um that was pro farming and we could always step out of it and into our normal lives where we feel like oh we do have some control over something so in a sense it was a good training ground because pro farming always uh gave you a sense of being very small and even if you thought you did everything right everything can still turn out very wrong um yeah. so i think it gave good foundations to what we are as a, as a, as as humankind going through right now the fact that you know we don't really control much at all and we have to come to terms with that um and, and just do do the best we can with what we have and i think for well i i don't want to speak for 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 other people but even for myself having having come from Uh, a pro farming background it, it's still it's still uh quite hard to to swallow on a day-to-day -day basis where you just have to keep taking hits and keep taking challenges and problems in the face and having to work out solutions on and, and not being able to step out of it because this is the reality now So I have seen photos of you out in your Coast Guard uniform delivering food out to the needy. A lot of us civilians don't know what it's actually like, um, you know, out there on the streets, especially outside of Metro Manila. Um, is, is, is there a particular experience you, you, you'd like to share on the time that you were right, out so there? I think uh, this, this lockdown has... has really drastically affected the 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 economic status of of everybody uh, basically there's no one who is unaffected by uh what is happening globally one of the more mm -hmm. difficult things i've seen is is the fact that you have remote communities uh in palawan that um are so far away from the epicenter or the reality of, of this disease in Wuhan or in New York or in Milan or in Manila, you know, they don't have any case uh, of COVID and yet mm -hmm. their lives are completely turned upside down uh, because of it. Yeah. So if we feel frustrated in, in big cities where this is happening, imagine being in a place that's completely free of it and you are still your life is still turned upside down. Mm -hmm. So these play, you know, with globalization today, or not even globalization, with logistics, domestic logistics today, a lot of remote communities depend on movement of goods. So that being food, uh, rice, um, toothpaste, uh, uh, socks, um, uh, you know, um, what, whatever else, uh, personal care uh accessories you know these these basic uh essential goods that that have enjoyed freedom of of movement and so this whole situation has pretty much thrown even remote communities backwards um and so for us uh we were trying to find ways because we were trying to use our marine assets to uh continue transportation of these relief goods for these communities because um, they got so used to it that, and they grew so much 
I mean, in terms of the the physical number of people in these small communities, that the island's resources or the marine resources are no longer enough to sustain those communities. They are dependent on canned goods. They are dependent on uh, rice being brought in from the mainland and, and, and other things like this. So if you cut that off, very quickly you find yourself or these communities find themselves in a situation well oh what well, looks like we have too many people for the resources we have so that island situation is basically what the world is going through in a nutshell i think we've been used to a lot of comforts that um mm-hmm. were not necessarily sustainable so it, it it brings up a a very serious question of you know um are as humans have we really is development and is globalization and is uh, all of this economic uh strength really uh has it really benefited us because uh, as what covid has shown that uh faucet can be turned off overnight um so is everything that that has been built through um, development and economy is is it really you know, is it really in the right direction or with the right purpose? Um, so I don't have the answer to that question, but it definitely, what I've seen has raised that question. Yeah, I think we'll, we we will definitely be grappling with that for for a long time. And it might be, I mean, I don't want to say like a silver lining really, but it it might be about time that we that we look at these, um, that we look at these issues and that we look at how, you know, fast it is that we feel like we need to grow or we need to consume or we need to, or just how fast it is we need to go, I guess. And I mean, it's, it's even something as simple as, you know, as the TV channels entered these communities, um, communities that were naturally farmers and and fisher folk they you know they they saw the ads on tv and they saw that these canned goods were so healthy for you this processed meat or this uh i don't want to mention any any names of brands but anyway processed food was was you know really good Mm -hmm. for you and all this so they kind of shied away from producing their own vegetables and and keeping their own fish that they catch, but they'd rather sell their perfectly good fish that they caught to the market and buy some canned sardines or canned tuna, which for me is, is, is complete nonsense. But um, there are many situations like this because what they see on TV, what's being marketed to them is that this is what's good for you. So um, it's, it's just small ironic situations like that that i encounter that that really makes me wonder and go back to that question i asked wow that's really i mean i almost can't believe it but i mean i guess that's also where sort of education comes in and it's good that there are there are um initiatives like i i imagine um the safe allowances foundation has some sort of initiative towards education as well as your your coast guard right so well. yeah, education is definitely the key um for that 
especially with the children because they'll be the leaders and you know it's much easier for i i can i can tell a 50 60 70 year old fisherman that hey you shouldn't do that because it's it's not good you should try doing this instead but if and you know he might completely disregard what i say because you know who am i right but if his grandson tells him hey dad why did you throw that that's really bad or why did you fish that way that's really bad or why are you eating that it's really bad he's much more likely to listen to to his grandson or his granddaughter um than a person like me so i think the key is really education um with the youth and that's what that's one of the things we've been focusing on with safe balances foundation and we have seen results um from that I was thinking about the luxury industry and how we consume. Like, where where do you see a place for the luxury industry post-pandemic? I mean, I think we're all being forced to think a little bit about how we buy, how much we buy. Um, do you think that things will change? Or how, how do you think things will change, I guess? I do think that there will be transformation. Uh, I do think that there will be new players that will come out also. But I also think that there were already values that some companies were pushing uh, in in the luxury industry prior to COVID-19 that were already aligned. So when I say values, I'm talking about sustainability. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about supporting local. I'm talking about uh, regenerative business. So having how can you have more meaning how can your business or your product or your service bring more value to the community rather than just extracting value so i think more than more than what you can get out of a out of a market or out of a segment i think it's what you can bring to it um so thankfully for jewelmer that's always been very intrinsic um in terms of having always looking at things in a mutually beneficial manner and because of the nature of the industry that we're in uh, we're forced to think that way and i think that's going to become more and more relevant how does what we do impact our community how does what we do uh, impact the environment how does what we do impact our uh, client or our our collectors and i think most companies and most luxury brands are going to have to ask them th- themselves these questions and address whether they are really making a difference. And mm-hmm. and those that will have a hard time answering those questions, I think, um, will be more obvious to the consumer and the consumer will be shying away from those. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, you guys seem very perfectly placed in a sense. People started... Uh, thinking about the environment and greenwashing and all this. This was always intrinsic in Jomer, mm-hmm. so it, it brought more value. And then now, um, with with this new situation, I think it's it's bringing to light even more uh, other value. So we don't have to do any any shifting in in what we've always thought was important. And I think that's that's um, you know that's a blessing because uh, it's going to be also obvious if if it's people will see that is it's really not in the brand code of this 
company to do that, but they're really trying to shift. Uh, whereas it's, if it seems natural or it seems aligned, then I think that's going to be more uh, organic. Yeah, like consumers are smart. Like we have all the information at our fingertips. We can really feel when something is coded in a brand's DNA versus something that is sort of planted there in order to make a statement for whatever is currently a thing. Uh, these are all assumptions, right? So we don't have the the answers. I think um, one thing that we've always tried to do in times of crisis is just try to do what's right. Um, and what's right is what's right mm-hmm. um, by our people, what's right by the community, what's right by the environment. I wonder if you've drawn any conclusions or connections on that and the way that we live in light of the current pandemic and maybe even life after. Do you have any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I think as as uh, as we were discussing, this pandemic is making us reevaluate many things uh, in life and, and how we go about it. Um, what are the what are the products we consume and what are the things that are important uh, when everything gets stripped down? So uh, for us, uh, sustainability, um, it wasn't a word that we used to drive our strategy. It was a word that came about later that actually described what we were doing. So um, I guess, you know, as we were talking a while ago, we have so little control in the pearl farming process of what actually happens. So I always tell people the being a pearl farmer, um, you're always in the backseat. And what it really is about is taking care of the, the environment around the pearl farms. What it's about is taking care of the uh, people so that in turn, they may take good care of the oysters and the reward for doing those things will might be that you might harvest a pearl. And the pearl is not the end result, but it is merely a tool to perpetuate the cycle. I'm seeing a lot on supporting local and this is all over. What does it mean for you to be part of that as many see Juomer as sort of the flag bearer of Filipino luxury brands? As a Filipino, even I'm guilty of sometimes preferring a uh, foreign product or, or an imported product over something that is locally produced. So I think we have to have a, a shift in mindset because if we start to believe that um, not not just believe, but if we support local products to help them reach a point where um, they are uh, sustainable, they can grow. And it's something that we can, because of the local support for it, it can also be exported. Uh, I think that's very exciting. Um, I believe that in our country, there is so much talent. There is so much resource. There is so much creativity that we we can compete with any 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 products around the world i i truly believe this uh, because i've seen it in in our field um mm. being filipino is is actually an asset because the the amount of creativity uh we have here in our culture uh the resilience the bayanihan spirit that is inbuilt and the the ability to always uh find a solution 
I'd like to to mention in particular uh, Auro Chocolate, which I think they're doing a great job in in supporting local. Um, but there are many other examples of of com- Filipino companies now that are um, really proud of their heritage and and using it at the forefront rather than something um, you know behind their brand. Could you be alluding to like, um, I know they do like a lot of manufacturing, for example, and like Cebu for um, furniture, for example, for other brands. And are you talking about those brands sort of becoming their own brands? Yes, definitely. Because there are so many things that are actually started or made here in the Philippines, then they're repackaged and repurposed as something else uh, in Europe or, or, or in the US. So uh, I think and the reason that they do that is because these brands have to export because the domestic market doesn't have enough consumption of local. But if we if we did actively, mm-hmm. uh, as a consumer in the Philippines, um, choose local products, then uh, whether that is food, whether that is, um, whether that is, uh, you know, uh, fashion um, or or various other industries. I think that will be a big, big help. And I really do see a strong comeback for the Philippines. And and the way things are going, uh, I feel the Philippines is very well poised for the global stage for the next decade. Bold words, my friend. But I'm glad to hear you're so bullish on that. And it's really, it's actually really <laughs> nice to kind of mine your mind on this. The Pearl for Lifesavers is such a beautiful initiative. We wanted to give back and, and, and recognize these, you know, medical frontliners that are really, you know, putting their lives on the line for, for, for our country. And not just here, but all around the world. But, mm. but we really wanted to focus on the, the, the Filipino medical frontliners because um, many people might not know, but Filipino medical frontliners are not just here in the Philippines, but there are so many in the U.S. There are so many in the U.K. and other parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the Filipino culture is so so caring and so generous that it's a natural fit for for the healthcare industry. But now these people who have been so kind, so giving, so caring are are you know put in in harm's way and. And so we just wanted to recognize some of those stories. So that was the, the, the thing behind the, the Pearl for Lifesavers. And the fact that, you know, it, we wanted to use the national gem of the Philippines to inspire hope. It's really beautiful. I mean, because in a way, it's them, right? Like, they are the nation's gems. What a beautiful metaphor. we like to wrap things up with two questions. The first thing is, what is one nice thing you have experienced in this not-so-nice time? What I cherish the most about this this not-so-nice time, as you call it, was the time I had with my wife and, and, our, and our newborn son. Uh, I think this is time that could never have been bought. And 
if we were in a normal situation, I would have never been able to see all of these milestones and be there for all of those moments and see everything that, you know, all the little details that uh, my wife Mia does for, for both of us. Um, and I think, you know, this, this, this time of, of staying home um, really, you know, really helped me see that more and appreciate it more. So I, I'm so grateful for that because th there was, th for me, that's priceless. And there was no amount in the world that I could have paid to buy that time. Yeah, Mia seems to have taken so naturally to being a mother. I'm so happy for both of you. And you're right, like so many of my friends who are um, parents of really small children right now feel particularly blessed to have this time with their kids while they're hitting a lot of their first milestones. Like most of the time they would have been at the office while their kids were learning to crawl or take their first steps. And suddenly they're there like, yeah, what a gift. And lastly, since we all need some laughs, what is one funny thing that you've experienced during the lockdown? Since the lockdown happened, um, many of our uh, messengers couldn't actually get to work. So I was uh, personally delivering shrimp to people. Uh, so doing shrimp deliveries was, was a lot of fun. I never imagined that shrimp could bring so much joy to people stuck in their homes. This lady had ordered a couple of weeks in a row some shrimp. She'd never seen my face because of the social distancing. And, and you know, she lives in a condo, so she would okay. just send her her um, her house help down to, to pick up the shrimp and, and give them money. So she wouldn't, I could have been any other delivery person or grab person as far as she was concerned. But this one day I decided to to give her a, uh -huh. a free bangos um, just because she was so nice. And she 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 almost cried on the phone and I she was an older lady and I felt, you know, I, I was I couldn't believe how moved she was by this free bangos. Um, and then so she said, uh, OK, I'll just drop it there uh, and and uh, my help will come. And then the help came down. But she came down with a goodie bag that was probably worth 10 times more than the bangos. There was like some Mary Grace and Saimada, some cheese rolls. There was some Oreo cookies. There was like a liter of Aquapana. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, I was like Aquapana. Like I would have expected like Wilkins or something. Yeah, but Aquapana, like the the glass bottle. And I could have been just any other grab delivery driver you know so there are so many wonderful people out there that are that are so generous and 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 so grateful for small things and so for me that served as a, a great reminder but i was really laughing when i got that bottle of aquapana i was like wow this is this is this is a lot <laughs> well thank you so much really for doing this for me uh it i enjoyed um speaking my mind a bit, I guess, because I've just been bogged down by all of the daily tasks and everything. I never got a chance to take a step back in this three months. So I appreciate that. It was kind of therapeutic, I guess you could say. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I feel I feel that way as well. I feel actually more hopeful in having spoken to you just now for, I mean, especially living away from Manila 
you get kind of caught up oh my in gosh, yeah. the difficult news cycle. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard when your loved ones are back home, when, you know, everything you care about is back home. And, you know, I might be, you know, safe here in Hong Kong and, and everything, but like, it's tough, right? But then you, you know, like today we got to sit down and, well, not sit down together, but we got to have this chat and, um, and I feel, and I feel hopeful, maybe for the first time in a few weeks now for the Philippines. And yeah. um, I guess thank you for that. Uh, th- this country is, is, is favored. Yeah. It's, it's poised. Because it doesn't matter what kind of challenging uh, situations this country faces. It always, it always comes out of the dust. Always. And always better than it was before. If you look historically, it's, it's incredible. There's, there's favor in this country, on this country. Thanks for tuning in to the Unlock Philippines podcast. We're definitely learning as we go along as this is a homegrown and homespun effort using whatever tools are available to us at the moment. We hope you found this uplifting and useful. And if you'd like to reach out to us, we are at unlockph.podcast at gmail.com. See you next week.